It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Hey, welcome to the show. It's September 29th, 2020. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons such as Jenny and Grant, Larry, Jason, and Stephen, Robbie and Janet, Lisa, Sam, Janet, Marlon, Kristen, Green, and Richard. I appreciate all of the support. Could not do the show without you guys. So, um, all right, I am originally from New York, in case people are not aware of that. I think most of you are by now, but originally from New York, but I came down south in 1992, and I never went back. I learned, well, I never went back, you know, to permanently live. I went back for one summer, valet parked some cars, uh, made a bunch of money, got a car, and then, you know, never went back to, to live. So, okay, first summer in 1992. So that would have been 93. I went back home, stayed that summer, and then that was it. Have lived in South Carolina or North Carolina for all of my adult life. Um, Most of that in North Carolina. I learned very early on when I came down south that barbecue was a food and not an event. Coming from New York, when you would say, hey, we're going to have barbecue, we're going to have a barbecue. It was never like we're going to have barbecue. It was always have a barbecue. We're going to a barbecue. And that meant grilling out, cooking out. It meant you're going to go and cook some hamburgers and hot dogs, maybe, maybe some chicken. Okay. But generally speaking, again, this was, you know, 30 years ago. I've been down South since 92. I'm approaching 30 years. So 30 years prior, uh, this is what barbecuing meant up in New York. In the Northeast, you said barbecue. It meant either the physical thing, like the Weber grill, you know, that was the barbecue, or it was the event, it was the activity of grilling up hamburgers and hot dogs. I came down south and I learned that is not actually what barbecue is. Barbecue is a food here. Pulled pork, chopped pork. Look, my opinions on what is the, you know, preferred barbecue in North Carolina is really not an issue here. I mean, it's the vinegar base, but that's not the issue here. <laughs> okay. Um, and you no, know, the mustard stuff down in South Carolina, I don't think anybody really counts that. Sorry, but I don't think anybody really counts that. I have opinions about barbecue. I look everybody to each their own. I don't, uh, you know, I don't begrudge a person for, uh, their preference in barbecue. If they like the tomato base, if they like the vinegar base, like me, which is the best kind, and then uh, the 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 uh, what uh, t- mustard based one down in South Carolina, uh, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Uh, I uh, and I I just like the barbecue usually with almost nothing on it. I don't need any of the sauces. If it's done well, I don't need really any barbecue sauce on it at all. Anyway, that's just me, but I do know that. There really isn't ever a reason to have a spatula anywhere near the barbecue. I know this. I learned this a long time ago. I learned that hamburgers and hot dogs are not barbecue, which makes this next story all the more baffling. One of the types of barbecue that is, you know, world famous, North Carolina, Lexington barbecue. And one of the candidates who is running for U.S. Senate 
is from Lexington, North Carolina. And last night, he posed for a picture at a gas grill with a spatula and an apron proclaiming himself to be an ambassador for North Carolina barbecue. On the gas grill, well, the the lid was closed, so you couldn't see what was actually on the grill. And all of the knobs appear to be off. It's true. They all appear to be off. I don't see any smoke coming out of the grill. I mean, obviously, it's a photo op, so you don't need to turn the grill on for it. But then next to the grill, you know, on the little uh, little side plate thing that they got going there, they have a plate of buns. And one of the buns is a hamburger bun. And then there are several hot dog buns. And in his hand, did I mention this? Cal Cunningham, candidate for U.S. Senate, is holding a spatula. Which is really the greatest insult here of all. And the gas grill itself, people are like, why is he standing in front of a gas grill? That's not the proper way that you would make barbecue. you got to have a smoker, right? There are certain rules here for barbecue. And for folks who are not from North Carolina, this might seem like a, a silly or preposterous kind of an issue. But for that reason, it is a very clarifying issue because you realize who isn't from here or who hasn't been here long enough. Look, I am not from North Carolina, but I've been in North Carolina more than two decades, and I've been in the South almost three. So uh, I, I understand the debate over the barbecue. People who arrive here and don't understand the history and the debate over this, uh, this, can, this can break a campaign. Like, in all seriousness, this can break a campaign. Have you ever heard of a fella named Rufus Edmiston? Rufus Edmiston. Uh, here is a story. This was, gosh, how long ago? 1984. He was running for governor. And here is the story from Under the Dome, 1984. Quote, The campaign for governor has only just begun, and Attorney General Rufus Edmiston already is tired of barbecue, the mother's milk of Tar Heel politics. Edmiston, attending a forum for gubernatorial candidates this week in Raleigh, made that point quite clear. Quote, There is one thing that is blessed about tonight, Edmiston told about 200 people at the event, sponsored by the North Carolina Recreation and Park Society, Inc., Quote, we haven't had any of that damnable barbecue, he said. (laughs) He said, I know that is heresy, but I have got some principles. I have eaten enough barbecue. I am not going to eat any more. I'm taking my stand and that is it. End quote. By the way, Edmiston said he took similar a similar stand ye- several years ago when he swore off chitlins. <laughs> he <laughs> now he he has said Rufus Edmiston has said that that's why he lost that race. Um, this is WBUR. It's a public radio station out of I want to say Boston or somewhere, and they did a story on this and, uh, several years ago. And uh, they cited this as an example, sort of one of the the weird things about North Carolina politics and this this debate over barbecue. And here's what Rufus Edmiston said years later, quote, something came over me that no one in their right mind would ever do. I said, yes, I certainly have. I'm tired of it. I hope I never see another drop of it as long as I live. I said that and I was joking, of course, 
End quote. The comment created a media storm. Edmiston says the barbecue faux pas was a major factor in his loss. He said, I never stopped liking barbecue. I have withdrawals at times. I sometimes have to go four or five days on these fancy trips now that I have to make for clients, and I get these distinct barbecue hunger pangs. So even... <laughs> This was this was like a decade or so later. And even after all that time, he's still trying to assure people that he loves barbecue. It's okay. (laughs) He still has to tell people, I really do. I go through withdrawal. I love barbecue so much. But this is what he said at an event. And look, I get it when you're touring the state. um, Everywhere you go. Yeah. Barbecue is sort of it's it. Look, not only is it a time honored tradition in North Carolina, uh, but it's also really easy to do to cater for a lot of people. You get a whole bunch of people showing up at your campaign event and you need some food. It's just really easy to get a whole tray of of barbecue, get a bunch of different sauces, get some slaw and some buns and you're good to go and baked beans. uh, And see, this is where like. I don't ever eat any of that stuff. I'll have a little bit of slaw on the side. I never make it into a sandwich. I just have a plate of the Q. That's that's. I just like the I like the the flavor of the pork. So it's just not. Uh, and then I'll put some maybe a little of the vinegar dressing on it, and I'm good. I'm a simple man. What can I say? I'm a simple man. And uh, so this has now caused a big scandal. This guy, Cal Cunningham, standing in front of his gas grill with a spatula, with these buns. And by the way, some folks are even questioning whether the buns are real. They kind of look plastic. I think it may be just lighting, but uh, I, I'm not sure. They could very well be plastic. And so now Cal Cunningham and his campaign, they're gonna, they, got, they got a couple choices here, right? What do, what do you do? Do you just, ha, 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 we were just kidding. Do you fire a staffer? Well, it's not the staffer's fault. Cunningham from Lexington should know that this this staging of the photo isn't good. I mean, look, he's there trying to sell his swag. This this apron that he's got. It's it says Ambassador for North Carolina Barbecue, and then it has his campaign logo on the bottom of it. Which, by the way, if you're interested in getting an apron that says Ambassador for North Carolina Barbecue without the logo. I've got some at the Cafe Press store, so you can go to thepetecalendarshow.com. I made one this morning specifically for this. So if you want to pick up an apron without the Cunningham logo, that's where you go. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com, and uh, you'll see a link up at the top there for merchandise. But um, I I don't – like, this is a bipartisan thing. I'm seeing people on the left who are – like trying to attack other candidates. They're trying to like minimize all of this. They're they're like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, okay, first off, if you don't understand what the big deal is, then you don't really understand North Carolina politics. And I don't know any other way to say that. Now, if you don't know how to properly maintain your website, then Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design can totally hook you up. You need your search or you need your website to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional. You want it to be user-friendly. And you know it's really important to your business. And while you do know your business, you might not know a lot about website design and maintenance. But Schaefer Smith does. Schaefer Smith Design, great design can solve a lot of your website's problems. Professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics and photos and online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He does logos. He did mine. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's Schaefer Smith. Dot com. So uh, the whole point here was to sell 
aprons for the campaign, right? But whoever staged the photo here for Cal Cunningham made a huge mistake. I mean, even going near the barbecue question, you've got candidates. I have seen it. I have been in enough candidate forums. I mean, even I remember who was it? A superintendent for Charlotte Mecklenburg schools years ago came to town and they were doing like the, uh, here are our three finalists and meet and greet with the public. And somebody asked the candidates, you know, Eastern or Western North Carolina. And I think the guy who got the job was the one who said he likes all of them the same. He, he wouldn't pick. <laughs> he refused to pick. And look, Charlotte's tough because like it's kind of halfway in between, you know. Which one do you pick, the Western or the Eastern? Eh, and then you got the South Carolina barbecue trying to muscle its way up from Rock Hill. So, uh, yeah, he was like, oh, I, I can't choose. It's a third rail in North Carolina politics, and they and they they played with it. Now, maybe there's some way that the campaign comes out of this. I'm not sure. Do you just pretend it was a joke? You can't fire the staffer that put this thing together. Although I suspect the staffer had no idea uh, the importance of barbecue, um, Cunningham should have known himself. So what do you do? What, like, what do you do? Do you just say, oh, my bad? I'm Like, my bet here is that they are trying to find right now someplace, some barbecue joint, someplace that has the gravitas necessary to give him sort of a halo effect. Just just send him over there, have him meet with some people, and chow down on some barbecue in front of the cameras. And that's how you try to rehabilitate this. I think that's the only way forward for him. Uh, there are now calls for Cooper to repudiate Cunningham for these, quote, shameful comments on barbecue. Uh, are you going to call on him to take this post down and apologize? <laughs> um I saw one person, I think from out of state, they said, by the analytics, this is a pretty amazing social media reaction. Was this denigration of barbecue on purpose by a brilliant young staffer? No, I don't think so. They may try to spin it like that. That That is definitely one approach they could try to take. That, aha, see, we just did this to get buzz. We were doing it for the traffic, as long as they're talking about us, right? Um, and then I saw one lefty respond, uh, maybe, maybe pivot to a message of honoring our traditions while also embracing new outside ideas about barbecue? Maybe? Could that work, everybody? Please let that work. <laughs> yeah, that's where they are right now. It's so funny to watch. They're like, honestly, they're honestly trying to find a way to salvage this into something that's that's beneficial for the campaign. Like, guys, I, like this isn't TV. This isn't the movies. Now, maybe they pull it off. I don't think so, but maybe they do. Here's one just terrible. Roy Cooper needs to defend the integrity of our state and our sacred meat. This is turning into a national embarrassment. And honestly, it is getting national attention now. You've got people from around the country that are now realizing what the heck is going on <laughs> in North Carolina with this guy in front of the grill. So <laughs> I'm trying to make the hashtag Grillgate work. I'm trying to make that I'm trying to make that a thing. Hashtag Grillgate. So uh, if you are on the social media and you want to uh, give that some retweets and some love, maybe we could get that. <laughs> maybe we could get that trending. I don't know. We, we shall see. Now, speaking of satire, um, USA Today did a fact check of the Babylon Bee. I am not kidding. Of <laughs> the satirical website, the Babylon Bee. So here was the, the claim, okay? Babylon Bee did a story with a headline uh, of an article. Here was the headline. Quote, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> that, was the, that was the headline. The Babylon Bee... Um, 
publishes this article in a nod to the contentious history between the Trump administration and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. The Babylon Bee is the world's best satire site, according to its website, which which is satire. Okay. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, this is the story that they they posted, who died of uh, metastatic pancreatic cancer September 18th, is actually alive, the article suggests, because the Ninth Circuit overturned her death. I love the USA Today. They're like trying to explain to you, right, uh, why this is not the case? Let, let, let me give you the let me give you the real scoop here. Uh, first off, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did in fact die. Okay, uh, and now the Babylon Bee has published the story that her death has been overturned. Uh, that has not happened. Just for the record, we want to be very clear that has not happened. In a close decision, the Babylon Bee said the judges on the court have ruled RBG's death unconstitutional and will block Trump from nominating a replacement. Um. The Ninth Circuit Judge Kim McLean Wardlaw was credited with issuing the ruling on the basis that Ginsburg death, uh, Ginsburg's death was, quote, an affront to the Constitution and the God-given right to abort as many babies as possible and sell their body parts for research, end quote. Therefore, <laughs> Ginsburg will still be considered alive by the law, says the article. As to how the court will accomplish this feat, Judge Wardlaw admitted, according to the article, quote, we're still figuring that part out. Any attempt to fill the vacancy left by Ginsburg will be blocked by the Ninth Circuit until she can be cloned or resurrected, according to the article. Predictably, President Donald Trump and fellow Republicans condemned the ruling, saying, quote, this is a terrible ruling because we are racists and we hate women. (laughs) So that was the story (laughs) from the Babylon Bee. And then USA Today proceeds to fact check the parody. They first all start with the claim uh, that the Ninth Circuit overturned the death of the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that's the so that's the stated claim that they are analyzing. Who is Judge Kim Wardlaw? They then go through her whole bio. USA Today goes through her bio and says there's no record of her uh, of any opinion of hers on Ginsburg's death on the website. Uh, She did participate in a panel discussion about Ginsburg's life produced by the UCLA School of Law. There was no mention, though, of reviving Ginsburg during the discussion. This is what USA Today actually wrote in a non-ironic manner. They're fact-checking the Babylon Bee. Uh, Then they go through, uh, they have a separate section here on the Ninth Circuit and how it has blocked a lot of Trump policies. So there are all these different policies, you know, um, and how they're referring to this case and that case. And this is where Trump lost and the Ninth Circuit overturned him, overruled him. The Babylon Bee referred to a particular circuit court in its satire piece for a reason. The president is not a fan of the Ninth Circuit, which covers much of the western USA, Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, and the northern Maria, uh, Mariana Islands. Rather, The appeals court is based in San Francisco, but has locations in Pasadena, California, Portland, Oregon, and Seattle. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco has a terrible record, according to President Donald Trump. It lists all the all of these cases that Trump has lost because of the Ninth Circuit. There's never a mention, though, that the Ninth Circuit is the most overturned court in America. Like there isn't another circuit court th- that has been overturned, overruled by the U.S. Supreme Court more than the Ninth Circuit. It's called the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals for a reason. <laughs> but they're fact checking this, and then they give it a rating. The rating is. Satire. We rate this claim as satire based on our research. A satirical article about the Ninth Circuit overturning (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. Uh, 
has no basis in fact. <laughs> it is true that the Ninth Circuit has ruled against many Trump-era policies. <laughs> the no <laughs> no fact check of the uh, made-up quote, though I noticed of the "We're racists and we hate women." The USA Today folks did not bother fact-checking that piece of the satire. <laughs> This is where we are. And they wonder why they have such low approval. They wonder why people hate them, right? Why they get tagged with this moniker of fake news. Guys, you're fact-checking the Babylon Bee. You didn't even have to do any research whatsoever. You could have just said, we rate this claim as satire because Babylon Bee. They, like, that's it. That's all you need to know. It is in the Babylon Bee. It is a parody site. Oh, my goodness. It really is unbelievable. Kind of like the deals at Mattress Man right now. The triple zero deal, right? Zero money down, zero interest for two years, and no payments for 90 days. How are you going to beat that? It is, I mean, believe me. I know it sounds unbelievable, but believe me, it is real. Just like the free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore mattress. These are great mattresses. These are made by Restonic in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses that are at the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. Um and uh, really, really comfortable luxury, basically. And you get a free box spring. You can also pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses, all at Mattress Man. Uh, four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide, and they will help you find the right bed for you. Everybody sleeps differently, right? You got different sleeping positions. Uh, if you're a side sleeper, back sleeper, stomach sleeper, uh, it's all gonna that that all has an impact on what kind of mattress you would be best suited for and they can help you find the best mattress for you they go through six weeks of extensive training so they can best uh, pair you up with the right mattress they have five-star local delivery service and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee go and experience the difference at mattress man you can also shop all their inventory at their website mattressmanstores.com and buy local and then sleep better all right, so uh, the latest uh, debate over debates, this is from WRAL. They were all very upset uh, that Dan Forrest, lieutenant governor, Republican who is running against incumbent Democratic governor Roy Cooper, uh, Forrest uh, refused to uh, participate in a debate on WRAL, and now he is refusing to answer questions for the WRAL voter guide. Where that they put together, they send out these questions and then they put them all on their website. And Dan Forrest said, no, they're not going to do it. His campaign. Here is WRAL's report by Travis Fain, um, who was very upset about this on Twitter last night. He said, uh, or this is the story, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest refused this week to answer questions for a routine WRAL News online voters guide with his gubernatorial campaign saying that the questions, quote, don't reflect reality. A full disclosure here. As a former reporter at a conservative news talk radio station, I am probably not the most sympathetic person when it comes to this kind of a complaint from a newsroom, from a news organization, especially WRAL. Uh, when I was a reporter and you have talk show hosts and they're on the air, you know, three hours a day and they're saying all sorts of stuff and they're all conservatives and they're bashing Democrats and I'm a reporter and I'm going out and I'm covering local government meetings. And when I would go and I would do an, try to do an interview with a lot of Democratic local leaders, they would not want to do an interview with me. 
I'd have to. There were a couple of them that I could con, that I did convince uh, to do interviews with me. But at some point, um, you know, they learned that even an interview that I do that is completely objective and uh, you know I, I, I'm not like trying to like play gotcha with them. I just say, hey, why did you do this? And um, what what's your philosophy on this? And tell me a little bit about this issue. Whatever they give me the soundbite, I put it into the story. Then the talk show hosts take the soundbite, they play the soundbite, and they mock it and they pick it apart. Right? They analyze it, they examine it, and they drag <laughs> the politician because of their response. And now the politicians, rather than uh, getting, I don't know, you know, adopting a better argument. Rather than doing some sort of self-examination of why their soundbite, you know, sounded bad or why they were able to be mocked in such a way uh, or just recognizing, look, this is politics and they're on the other side. They're going to, you know, they're going to do this. uh, They would now refuse to do interviews with me. So that was a constant fight that I had to engage in trying to not a fight, but it was this constant campaign. I had to try to convince Democratic elected officials in Charlotte, Mecklenburg to do interviews with me and, you know, in the newsroom um, to try to get them uh, comfortable enough to do the interview. So I'm not particularly sympathetic to this argument that, well, we're WRAL, we're the newsroom and how dare, you know, a candidate uh, not Uh, you know, submit to our request because we are news. You may be news. However, you've got an editorial that comes out every single day, and it is written by a former communications guy for two prior Democratic governors of North Carolina. Guy's name is Seth Efron, and he is the former comms guy for Governor Easley and for Bev Perdue. And he was hired by Goodman, Jim Goodman, the owner of WRAO, Capital Broadcasting Company, right? And Seth Efron is the guy that articulates uh, and amplifies the institutional voice of the Capital Broadcasting Company or corporation, whatever, CBC. Uh, And that is Jim Goodman. That's his company. They own WRAL. So this is the, the editorial bent of the ownership of the station. And every single day, this guy writes anti-Republican agitprop. And so I'm not sure when you thought that that, that this was going to, like, people were going to make this connection and your time was going to run out. But apparently, like, today's the day. It seems to me like you've got uh, you got now one Republican, at least, who's like, you know what, WRAL, I'm not going to play your game anymore. I'm not, I'm not interested in talking with you. And he doesn't have to, by the way. Like the, the, the changing media landscape is such that uh, that he doesn't necessarily have to go through WRAL anymore. It's not like it was 10 years ago and, you know, decades prior. Uh, they don't control the access to the voters like they used to. Now, um, you could say this is a bad move. I don't know. Like, it, it might very well be a bad move. Maybe there were some persuadables that are watching WRAL that are going to go read the uh, the voter guide, and they're going to say, oh, my gosh, you know, I really wanted to learn everything about these candidates, and Dan Forrest refuses to participate uh, in, in in this, and so now I'm going to vote against him. I can't vote for him. And maybe they, they, do, they do no other research except rely on WRAL. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's a bad move. I don't know. I have no inside understanding or knowledge about why the Forrest campaign uh, has decided to do this, except for what they said to WRAL. Here's what they said. Quote, these questions are written specifically for the Cooper campaign and don't reflect reality. So keep this in mind, that these are written specifically for the Cooper campaign and don't reflect reality. Now, 
WRAL's first um, uh, first poll quote, and it's in the headline as well. Forrest won't answer questions for voters guide, says they don't reflect reality. That's what they pulled out of that sentence. The sentence was, these questions are written specifically for the Cooper campaign and don't reflect reality. They pull the second part, don't reflect reality. They leave out the first part, written specifically for the Cooper campaign. Why do you think they would leave that out? It makes them look bad. Right, naturally. It makes them look bad. You're questioning their objectivity, which they, you know, they purport to exhibit in all stories and in all story selection. Um, the Forest Campaign spokesman, Andrew Dunn, says in an email, quote, they're not the issues the people of North Carolina really care about. He then listed the real questions that should be asked, which the Forest Campaign also did not answer. By the way, WRAL did not provide a list or the list that the campaign sent. So here's WRAL saying, we have these questions and they refuse to answer them. They've suggested some other questions and WRAL doesn't tell us what those are. Do you think that would be relevant to the story? I do. If you're telling me that the campaign thinks your questions are garbage, they've got some other questions, why won't you tell me what their questions are? So I can make a determination as to whether I think those are actually better or more legitimate questions. Forrest has frequently complained about WRAL coverage, and he declined an invitation this election cycle to participate with Cooper in a WRAL debate. The two will face off October 14th in a debate organized by the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters. So he's already said to WRAL, I'm not going to participate in a debate on your TV station. And um, does that cost him votes? I don't know. But again, I am not the shoulder to cry on for a newsroom that says, uh, oh, I can't believe he's going to, you know, shut us out like that. I can. Absolutely, I can. Um, this has been happening to North Carolina media, by the way, for gosh, now what, almost 180 days, something like that. Governor Cooper has been holding news conferences minimum once a week. Now it's down to once a week. Earlier in the pandemic, it was two, three times a week. And he hasn't let any kind of uh, conservative media outlet ask a question in going on now, what, four months, five months or so? And by the way, WRAL still hasn't done a story on that because WRAL gets to ask questions. This is the gatekeeper mentality. This is uh, th this is a sort of a credentialed attitude that they have. We are legitimate press. These other outlets are not. And therefore, we don't care that they're getting shut out. Right. They, we, we don't care that they're being shut out. The North State Journal is a really good example of it. Uh, WBT News is another good example of it. They never. Uh, what's the guy, uh, the reporter down in Charlotte, Brett Jensen? Guy never gets on to ask a question. WBT, the newsroom where I used to work, they try to get in on the news conferences to ask questions and they never are permitted through. And we found out, thanks to the North State Journal and their um, uh expose on this several months ago they found out that what the, that the governor's office had gone and gotten software from a company that specifically is designed 
to make sure that you can set up teams of people. It's sort of a, the, the, the software is used for organizing and you're trying to do like a big seminar and you got breakout groups. So you can create teams of people and then they can all see the same presentation, but they all don't get to interact with one another and they don't get to interact with you unless you open the gate to let them. And so that's obviously what they're using this software for. And even the creator of the software, the company said, oh, we've never heard of it being used for a press conference before. North State Journal did this story because they're getting screened out. They don't get to ask questions of the governor at the press conferences. And there has not been a story done by the credentialed press on this at all. They don't care because it doesn't affect them. Right. So they're okay with the the standard. Right. The standard here is a is an elected official not allowing certain media to have access to them. They're okay with that standard. They're just not okay with it when it's applied to them. That's the deal here. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the club, guys. Uh, People in uh, conservative newsrooms all over America, they've been dealing with this kind of stuff for a very, very long time. I had I would moderate debates in Asheville at WWNC, and even though I did the moderating with a Democrat in a simulcast on a Democrat station, and we would moderate debates when the Democrat performed poorly. There was one candidate who performed poorly, and she went and told the Democratic Party, uh, don't ever do a debate again with Pete Callender," And they shut us out. They shut WWNC out. But not based on anything I did, because the questions were developed with the progressive talk show host. We came up with the questions together. We asked them together. It was a simulcast. And this woman performed very poorly. She still won the race. Patsy Kiever, that's who it was, right? And then the word went out into the Democratic Party in Buncombe County, don't ever do another debate with Pete Callender because he's going to sandbag you. That's what they said. And so that was it. Never could get another debate scheduled again. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sympathetic uh, to the W.R.A.L. Uh, complaints here. You know, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, I am sympathetic if you're looking for a real estate agent and you can't find one, you can't find a good one. Or maybe you got a house that's been sitting on the market for a really long time. Get the house sold now and for more money call rowena Patton. 333-4483 is the phone number 333-4483 she's the official homes for heroes agent in Asheville. that's a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25 percent back from realtor commissions goes to police officers firefighters healthcare professionals educators and members of the military that's veterans active duty and retirees uh, she's given back almost eight hundred thousand uh, dollars to local folks in those professions so call the only agent that christine i called when now that we're buying a house uh buying or selling i only recommend and have only ever recommended rowena Patton 333-4483 mountainhomehunt.com and start packing All right, so President Donald Trump's campaign committee, the Republican National Committee, and the North Carolina GOP leaders have filed lawsuits over the weekend to block state election officials from enforcing rule changes that could boost the number of ballots counted in the state in November. God, Associated Press, you were so close. The Associated Press, that's what I just read from their headline, Trump campaign, NCGOP, sue Board of Elections to block mail-in ballot rule changes. My problem here with this uh, with this lead sentence is that, uh, yes, it could boost the number of ballots. Yes, it can, it can do that. These rule changes can do that. 
Uh, this is the framing, though, of the story right out of the gate. It's framed as boosting the number of ballots. It's not framed as aimed at protecting the vote. Right? The, right out of the gate, you have an idea of how the reporter is approaching the story. And, uh, like, I, 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 look, I think this is Gary Robertson. They, they may turn around and do it, or Brian Anderson, I think, is the new guy. Um, they may turn around and be able to do a very good job in this story. But right out of the gate, it has set a tone. And knowing what I know about how people consume media, which is something that they drill into you when you start journalism school, it's called the inverted pyramid. You put as much information in the top of the story as possible because most people stop reading. So you put all of it in the top. This is why it's an inverted, it's an upside down pyramid. All the information that you can, most important information at the top of the story. And as the story goes on, you get less and less sort of new information. Okay. Because there's an understanding in the journalism world in print that people stop reading after a certain amount of time. So this is their Think about it like this is the most important information they want you to have, that this is that this could boost the number of ballots counted in the state in November. It's not framed as these changes being aimed at protecting the vote, uh, election integrity. Right. Also, it can boost the number of bad ballots. Right. That's not made clear either. You could boost the number of bad ballots that are being submitted in the state. Right. And also, there is an assumption here that increasing the number of ballots like this is automatically a good thing. And it's not, by the way. Simply increasing the number of ballots is not necessarily automatically a good thing. Why? Because you could end up overwhelming the system and more fraudulent ballots get through because the system and the people are overwhelmed. Okay, These are nuances to this discussion that are never actually uh, discussed. So all of this goes back to, and if you are interested, there are uh, a couple episodes of the podcast last week where I went over this stuff in depth as it was occurring. Uh, the, the changes that were made by the Board of Elections in this closed session meeting uh, at the end of September, memos were then sent out to county boards of election. Uh, and the big change, at least in my, there are a couple of them, but the big one for me is the absentee ballot witness signature requirement. Uh, so previously, before um, the pandemic, you had... Two signatures that were required. If you're going to do an absentee ballot, you had to have two signatures. Uh, And these are witnesses that see you fill out the ballot, not like watch who you vote for, but they see you filling out the ballot, know that it's you, your ballot, watch you seal it up and, you know, sign it and seal it up. And then they say, yes, this person is who, you know, they say they are. And I saw them do this. So you need two of those witnesses. This, the, that double witness requirement was done in an effort to guard against the kind of ballot harvesting that occurred in the North Carolina 9th Congressional District by a guy named McRae Dowless for the Mark Harris campaign in Bladen County. Uh, That ballot harvesting operation prompted the Board of Elections, Democrat controlled, to throw out the results of the congressional election in 2018. Um, There had to be another election held. That's why Dan Bishop... Uh, the congressman from the ninth district. That's why he has the seat now, uh, because he he beat Dan McCready in a in a in a re race. Basically, Mark Harris had health issues, and so he did not run for uh, for election again. 
So that those protocols were put in place after the ballot harvesting operation. Now, with the pandemic, the General Assembly said, you know what, okay, we'll make some changes here because you're going to have you know more absentee balloting and stuff, so we'll make it a little bit easier because we don't want people uh, having to you know pile into voting stations. And this was the thought uh, you know several months ago when they did this. Uh, so they reduced it down to one signature, okay? Uh, and what the Board of Elections did in their closed session in this settlement agreement with plaintiffs that were represented by the big-time Democrat lawyer Mark Elias, who who was representing an AFL-CIO affiliate, um, who, by the way, the Attorney General uh, gave a convention speech for in 2018, uh, all of them Democrats negotiating with Democrats, uh, they then tell the Board of Elections, we're not getting rid of the witness requirement, don't worry. But then the cure, quote unquote, it's called the cure for a deficient ballot. If you send in your ballot without a witness signature, you know what the cure is? They call it an affidavit. So the Board of Elections will say, they'll call you up and they'll be like, or email you and they'll say, hey, you didn't have a witness sign your ballot. Because that's all you need now is just one. Just for this election, you need one witness. Hey, Pete, you didn't sign your, uh, you didn't have a witness uh, sign the ballot. And then I say, oh my gosh, uh, so sorry. Well, how do I cure this? How do I remedy this? Uh, then the Board of Elections say, well, we'll send you an affidavit. Now, when you say affidavit to somebody in the legal profession, affidavit means something. And usually, like, 99% of the time, it means that there is somebody witnessing the signature of an affidavit. There's somebody there, either a notary public or a witness, a lawyer, officer of the court. Somebody is seeing it. You're swearing on an affidavit of some kind. And so when they say affidavit, in this context, they don't actually mean affidavit. What they're doing is they're going to send you a statement. And the statement is going to say, I am Pete. I sign it. I send it back. Well, what's missing? At the end of the day, what is my ballot missing? Even after I've cured it, what am I missing? A witness signature. Exactly. So despite telling the Board of Elections in that closed session that they're not getting rid of the witness signature requirement, in practice, in effect, that's exactly what they did. That is exactly what they did. And that is unconstitutional. They changed the law as it relates to election uh, rules. And they're not allowed to do that. This is the premise of the Republicans lawsuit. I'll get into it in a minute. Uh, first, general equipment rental right now is the uh, they got going on right now. The big Husqvarna fall sale at general equipment rental in Weaverville. Go to generalrents.com and you can check out all the products. They've got all the Husqvarna uh, equipment, the chainsaws. They've got all different sizes. They've got mowers and blowers and trimmers and saws. Uh, whatever the project you are looking to do, they've got the tool for you, okay? Uh, they've got the riding mowers. They've got the pro-grade stand-on mowers. Go to generalrents.com and you can get pre-qualified for 0% APR for 48 months as well. This is a great time to replace a bunch of worn-out yard equipment. You know, you know, you know which pieces of equipment you've got that are on their last legs and they're a hassle, right? Uh, maybe they're a set of trimmers and you've been trying to uh, just get by with them and they keep jamming. You're constantly oiling them and, and the, 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 the cord is all frayed and it falls out of the extension cord. You can get, by the way, gas and battery powered equipment. Uh, I'm a fan of both, depending on the project, depending on the equipment. So go to generalrents.com and you can get pre-qualified for the 0% interest for 48 months. Also learn about commercial fleet discounts general equipment rental in weaverville 
It's at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. They're family-owned and operated, and they have been for three generations. Uh, and keep in mind, maybe you just need a tool once for a specific project. General Equipment Rental is your source for all of your equipment needs, everything from lawn and garden equipment to construction and earth moving. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. All right, so reading from the affidavit here, quote-unquote affidavit, it's actually called the Absentee Cure Certification. Okay, so the certification. It says, I am submitting this affidavit to correct a problem with missing information on the ballot envelope. I am an eligible voter in this election and registered to vote in said county. Uh, I solemnly swear or affirm that I voted and returned my absentee ballot uh, and that I have not voted and will not vote more than one ballot in this election. I understand that fraudulently or falsely completing this affidavit is a class I felony under Chapter 163. And then you sign it and you print your name and you're done. And you don't even, it says a wet ink signature is not required, but the signature uh, used must be unique to the individual. A typed signature is not acceptable, even if it's in the cursive or italics, like you get it with like the DocuSign uh, program. Okay, so it eliminated the witness signature requirement, and you don't get to do that as an agency of the executive branch. The legislature decides that. Um, Also, this from the Board of Elections memo that went out to the counties, uh, which to me, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. This to me sounds a little crazy. Okay, here is what it says. Um, No signature verification. The voter's signature on the envelope shall not be compared with the voter's signature on file because this is not required by North Carolina law. County boards shall accept the voter's signature on the container return envelope, they call it, the envelope, if it appears to be made by the voter. And what does that mean, that it appears to be made by the voter? What does that mean? It means the signature on the envelope appears to be the name of the voter and not some other person. That's what it means. So when you say, uh, well, what does it mean uh, that it appears to have been made by the voter? Well, just that the name is the same. That's it. Not, not that there's any kind of similarity in the signature. No, the only similarity is the name. That's it. So you don't even need to fake it. You don't even have to try to fake it. You just write in whatever hand you want, write somebody else's name. You're fine. You're good to go. So this is the standard for the, for the affidavit as well. They're not using any kind of signature comparison to anything. Absent clear evidence to the contrary, they say, the county board shall presume that the voter's signature is that of the voter, even if the signature is illegible. Even if you can't read the thing, you got to accept it. A voter may sign their signature or make their mark. Uh, The law does not require that the voter's signature on the envelope be compared with the voter's signature in their registration record. So because the law doesn't require the Board of Elections to compare the absentee ballot signature with the signature that's on file at the Board of Elections, the the state is telling the counties not to do it. They're, They're instructing the counties, do not compare the signatures. Now you tell me, is this something that an official with the Board of Elections would do if they were interested in maintaining election integrity? Okay, here is from the lawsuit filed by the Republicans. In June, the General Assembly enacted House Bill 1169 to prepare for this election. The law is intended to protect the safety of voters, ease some ballot procedures to ensure that vulnerable individuals are able to vote without undue risks to their health, 
and to ensure the integrity of votes that are cast in the election, especially by absentee ballot. Now, although the General Assembly passed this bill by overwhelming bipartisan majorities, and although the North Carolina Board of Elections vigorously and successfully defended these statutes in two different court cases, one in the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of North Carolina and the other in Wake County Superior Court, despite all that, the Board of Elections recently and abruptly announced a secretly negotiated consent order, otherwise known as the deal, that as detailed below directly contradicts North Carolina law and usurps the General Assembly's authority. Moreover, and importantly, this consent order is a component of a nationwide strategy formulated by lawyers for the Democratic Party committees. That strategy is inaptly named Democracy Docket. And on its website, the organizers of the Democracy Docket boast involvement in over 56 lawsuits in 22 states around the country by Democratic Party committees and their allies aimed to rewrite election laws in the state and federal courts. But rather than litigating those cases to conclusion, because they might and most often do lose on those challenges, as they have in North Carolina, the emerging strategy now is to cut backroom deals with friendly state election officials to eviscerate statutory protections against fraud, sow confusion among the electorate and election officials, and extend the November 2020 election into mid-November or beyond. Already, this strategy has played out in purported consent decrees with complacent election officials in Virginia, Rhode Island, Minnesota, Arizona, and Georgia. It is now plain that this effort to take responsibility for election laws from state legislatures where it is vested by Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution and put it into the courts is actually an anti-democracy project to thwart the will of the people and undermine the integrity of the 2020 election. Now, my hope is that at some point, Media in this state will take a little bit of a more skeptical approach when trying to ascertain the motivations of Democrats in this national campaign to strip away protections that are meant to safeguard the most vulnerable voting method. Democrats were making this argument against absentee balloting during the uh, voter ID debate in this state a couple of years ago. They were making this argument as well during uh, the scandal down in the North Carolina 9th Congressional District with the ballot har uh, harvesting operation. They were saying that, you know, in-person voting is, uh, you know, very rare that fraud occurs there, so we shouldn't have voter ID, uh, and we, you know, we, we should uh, try to shore up the absentee balloting process because Republicans are cheating. And so now that now that protections were put in place, now they want to unwind them. Now they're trying to unwind these things. Even a bipartisan Federal Elections Commission report, the Blue Ribbon Committee that was or a commission that was uh, led up by Jimmy Carter and James Baker, even they identified absentee balloting as the most susceptible vehicle for fraud. And yet here we are watching Democrats going around the country systematically trying to undermine what little protections there are. In order to what? To make it easier to vote. That's what the media says, because that's the Democrat talking point. All right. Now more than ever, old grouches, military surplus. It's what you need. Time for cold weather. 
time for cold weather gear. That's what it is. Hunting or working outside. You need heavy-duty warm clothing, and Old Grouch has got you covered, literally, for a lot cheaper than you're going to find at most outdoor stores. We're talking military-grade thermal underwear in all sizes, from extra small to 3X, wool sweaters, military field jackets in solid green, and camouflage, wool and fleece, toboggans, wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets, also emergency kits for your car, so you'll be prepared if, God forbid, something happens and you find yourself in inclement weather. You're going to have the space blanket, you know, those uh, like tinfoil blankets, you know, and you'll have rations and you'll have a shovel to help dig yourself out. Uh, he's got military-grade backpacks as well that's going to last a lot longer than the cheap ones from the big box stores. And he has ammo cans as well, all kinds, all sizes. These are great for storage for things like ammo or tools. Uh, some of the big, uh, the bigger ones can even be used as toolboxes for your truck or trailer. Plus, of course, tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Uh, the shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So another thing that happened over the weekend was that the two Republican board members on the uh, Board of Elections resigned. And then one of their uh, one of the guy's wives went onto Facebook and said uh, that they were not uh, they did not voluntarily resign. And they were forced out. This was seen as proof positive that all of this is some sort of a scam that the Republicans are running, which is absurd. Two things can be true, right? The Republican members of the North Carolina Board of Elections, that they did feel misled on what the consent deal would and would not actually do. And when you read the minutes, it's clear that all the board members wanted to maintain the absentee uh, ballot the witness signature requirement they all wanted that to stay in place but when the memo got sent out to the county boards of election and this uh this affidavit was drawn up it was obvious that that actually did not remain so that's it's possible that they were misled it's and it can also be true that republican party leaders were very unhappy with what the two board members had done on the board of elections and told them they need to resign those two things can be true right it, one does not negate the other so I don't understand. When the deal was announced, I said that the GOP members should resign for voting for it, either for incompetence or for an unwillingness to fight uh, or for their support for the deal. I mean, you make a mistake like that. And no, you shouldn't get to stay on the board to make any more. Maybe Republican Party leaders were so stunned at the terms of the deal that they lost confidence in the Republican board members to serve. So urging them to resign, that would actually be the obvious thing to do. I mean, it was to me. Uh, that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review. I appreciate that. Consider becoming a patron of the show as well. Uh, you get cool stuff and exclusive content. Thanks so much for the support. Thanks for listening. We'll talk later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.